podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The Celtic Exchange, a fresh insight on Celtic Football Club. Welcome to the Celtic Exchange Weekly. This is Tino and this week I'm joined by James and Brido as we cover all things Celtic. Celtic have been in Sydney for the Ange Postacoglu Super Cup over the last few days and the players are now enjoying a week or so off before returning for a mid-season training camp in Portugal. They'll return to a nine-point lead over a Rangers side who now find themselves managerless after the sacking of Gio Van Bronckhurst earlier on today. Brido, welcome to the weekly show, first of all. You've done a few pre- and post-match for us uh, over at the Celtic Exchange Plus. But how are you feeling ahead of your debut here? Nervous? Relaxed? Emotional? Just looking forward to it, mate. Uh, I've, done my, I've done my grafting in the B squad and now I'm, that's me and the A team, so... Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Don't rest on your laurels. Just because you've made it once to the first team doesn't mean you're here to stay. Um, Brad, as you know, we always start the show by asking you guys for your moment of the week in Celtic. So what have you got to kick us off today? I would say it's just seeing the amount of fans that turned out to watch us uh, all the way across the other side of the world, to be honest. Um, it's We all know that we're a massive club, but it's just good to see that the appetite for Celtic Football Club is is there and it's strong. Uh, and that's even with a lot of Australian fans who maybe have travelled for the World Cup as well not being there so uh, yeah that's what I would say my moment of the week would be Yeah I was thinking as well obviously with the two games against Sydney FC and Everton over the last few days and real credit to the fans in Australia for getting up at mad o'clock because let's be honest only an idiot would get up at three in the morning on a Saturday to watch Celtic and, and I thoroughly enjoyed it And seen them on Australia I know, it was 3.41 for me though. <laughs> it was madness. I don't know what I was doing. Did any of these lads get up for it? Did you watch no. it? No. Uh, did you? I was suffering jet lag. Uh, you uh, you get extra Celtic points for watching it, James. So, uh, um, Stunch. What, what about yourself? Um, obviously, a, a bit more limited in terms of Celtic competitive action at this moment in time, but what's been your moment of the week? The media team have uh, stepped in to help us out by releasing the, the Christmas video there. So great to see, obviously, Celtic's foundations and the foundation uh, charity at Celtic getting heavy involvement this year, Donna Marie and the guys in the, in the team there. I, I, as much as I like the departure from the kind of canned acting, you know, Ange hates it. Yeah. So I, I'd say he was quite influential on that, you know, just kind of uh, clumsy acting and all that kind of stuff. So that and just moving towards, you know, what the club's roots are and, you know, it looked like a great day for folk who were filming it and the, the kids were part of the foundation team and all that stuff. So, yeah, that, that was that was a kind of nice thing to see coming out. Yeah, and I think it's something that most fans of, of all ages look forward to coming out. But you're right, you know, in years gone past, it's been a wee bit kind of staged acting and, and Bruni doing his thing. But it's uh, it's nice to see that tie-in. Listen, Celtic's all about, you know, the charitable roots and it's nice to see that tie-in with the foundation. What I liked about the video actually was the... The bit towards the the latter part of it, where it shows you the players, you know, with the young folks at the Christmas party, and it looks just very genuine, very sincere. Kyogo's going mad. I think he's he thinks the party's <laughs> for him. But there's Juranovic is is given all sorts prominent, you know. And obviously there was a lot of talk of Juranovic, and that might come up later on if you know where his head's at. But he was he looked like he was a real part of the team there. His head was right into the Christmas yeah. party anyway. Whether yeah. he stays at the club or not, I don't know. But he likes the party. So we'll just take a quick look at the agenda for this week before we get started. So first of all, we'll look at latest headlines and that'll include a short look at Celtic's trip to Sydney. That news about Van Bronckhurst, of course, we'll mention that and we'll do a short focus on our World Cup Celts with the tournament having started on Sunday there. We'll also have a go at the mystery Celt as I continue, James, to bamboozle you and the lads with clues about a famous ex-Celt. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bridal, good luck at your first attempt at that. Following that, we'll cover the big topic, which this week is discussing Ange's forthcoming fourth transfer window for the club and the players that he should be building this Celtic team around. And finally, as always, we'll take a look at Celtic and media from this week. So to get started, let's look at those latest headlines. First up, Celtic in the Sydney Cup. On the pitch, a slightly disappointing defeat by Sydney on match day one. We lost that one 2-1 after taking the lead through Kyogo. And on Saturday night and Sunday morning, a loss on penalties to Premier League side Everton after a 0-0 draw. Off the pitch, of course, from a positive point of view, as Brido's mentioned, it's further exposure of the club to the, the other side of the world as we continue to build relationships with overseas supporters. And from a financial point of view, James, there's reports of somewhere between three and four million in the kitty for that one. So what's your thoughts overall on the Sydney Cup? A good exercise? A great exercise. I mean, I'd maybe say they should have flown out a day earlier and let them rest a wee bit and be fitter for the, the first game. I think they were caught a bit short there. I, I, I love Angie's no-excuse culture, but there may be a slight excuse there. Um, you can see it in the players. Um, but I think you tore through them. Um, you said, you know, you can sleep tomorrow and all that kind of stuff. Well, you can't because you're training for the Everton game, but you can sleep mm-hmm. there after that. So, 
Yeah, it's, it's good to see the standards kept high. It's great to see the exposure out there. Um, not even just exposure, but I can almost a thank you to these guys who, you know, you got up at three in the morning once and you're three ripping. For, 341. 341, you're ripping about it. These guys do it every week, you know, week in, week out, midweeks, so all that kind of stuff. So it's a thanks to them for their devotion and a kind of chance to see their heroes in the flesh. Some maybe for the first time, particularly for guys who've gone out there and had kids and stuff like that, but the kids' first time seeing Celtic in the flesh. So great for that. There's always been talk about you know Celtic diaspora and the studies we've done as a club to you know show Celtic fans over the world, and that just shows it you know that to get crowds like that coming to see you live, um, and let's be fair, being those friendlies, it's it's pretty outstanding. Yeah, I, I caught the attendance for the Everton game. I think it was forty one thousand, which is great for that kind of occasion. Not quite sure how many were at the Sydney game, but it looked like a decent crowd and, and a crowd in really good spirits as well. What we do have over at the Celtic Exchange Plus, so not long after the the final whistle uh, from the Sydney game, we spoke to a fella called Shane Beaton, and Shane was great. So he's from Melbourne. Uh, he got on the Celtic bandwagon when Tom Rogic signed for the club back in twenty thirteen, and he's been following us ever since. That's only been amplified since Ange got on board and, and him and so many like him are thoroughly enjoying the journey. So we spoke with Shane after the game, told us all about his experience there, his first time seeing Celtic in the flesh, getting to cheer a Kyogo goal and everything else that went with that. So it's a really good interview, so check that out if you get a chance. What were your thoughts just in terms of the, the game stuff, Brido? So as James says, we were a bit off it against Sydney and as much as we never got the result, we were far better against Everton, I thought. Yeah, but we're definitely probably the better the two teams against Everton and we certainly played a way that we're we would, uh, as Celtic fans, be more appreciative of than the style that Everton played. Uh, you know, I've seen a few things on on social media since then. Uh, a lot of Everton fans are actually saying, why don't we adopt that style of football? Uh, the game itself and the whole trip itself, um, on the pitch, yes, we want the Australian fans to, to see us and see a good, a good side, hence why we never took the Scottish players. Obviously, we did take the Scotland players and things like that, but um, I would say that it was okay. I think it was all right. It was, it was we ticked a few boxes, but on the pitch we played all right. But we still got this problem of taking chances, which I'm not going to actually label the point that much because it was a meaningless friendly. Mm-hmm. But you know, I've seen a lot of stuff since then, a lot of negativity around it. I'm like, wait a minute, you need to calm down a wee bit. Yeah, you know, Jack and Max and all sorts of grief. <laughs> It's a friendly. <laughs> Let's calm down. You can't win there because when Celtic played, was it Betis in a kind of non-event last year, Europa League-wise, people were cracking up about why are we playing Kyogo on this and why are we risking these guys? And it's like, okay, you can't have it both ways because we're then, you know, choosing to play them uh, over in Australia. You're right, there was a bit of grief for Jack and Marcus. Maybe a guy like I just needs a bit of a break as well at the moment. It's been quite an intense period for all the players. Um, he's getting it tighter than most because he missed another penalty. So that was the third of four penalties he's taking for the club. Any thoughts on that? I'd, I've definitely defended him. Somebody says, this, this guy's never a penalty taker. He took nine penalties and scored them all for Venlo before signing for Celtic. In fact, he may have missed one, but he scored nine for Venlo before signing. The guy knows how to take a penalty, but he's just been unlucky in these occasions. Yeah, I think it's maybe just his mindset at times. He always looks like he's given himself a really hard time. Yeah. When he does the slightest thing wrong, he just seems to be really hard on himself. I get that he's in a position in the park that he needs to score goals. That's who he's getting measured on. Totally get that. But he needs to just, I think if he relaxes a wee bit, he doesn't look as clumsy and he doesn't do the things that he sometimes does. Yeah. And that includes missing penalties. He's maybe overthinking about it, isn't it, James? Yeah. You know, the, the Livy one that he missed, one of two Livy ones that he missed, <laughs> was at such a crucial juncture, you know, in the Andrew's first season. So, and don't get me wrong, uh, Jack and Marcus came out and showed us exactly what he can do. And it was a, a real key figure on us uh, taking back the title last year. So I'm a huge fan. Um, but I think you're right. He's, he's in his head a wee bit. He's, he's quite tense. What was his run up like on uh, Sunday? Short? You should have joined me at 341. You'd have seen longer. it, but it was. It's never going to happen. Aye, he's not one for the, what I would deem an appropriate run up. He likes right. to go for this short run up. There's smarter stat- statisticians out there than me that can tell us the number of penalties scored from short runs to proper runs, as you term it, can kind of Short runs don't ever work for me. You either sky them or the goalie gets it or whatever, can kind of But the one he did take was a. A longer run-up. We actually get mentioned in the commentary that is a slightly longer run-up than he'd normally done. On Sunday? Yeah. Ah, well. 
Uh, I'm not that. measuring the distance by feet yet, but I'm taking them. <laughs> I need to get those stats for you, lads, for next week. But he's, um, he's not hit the target. That's the thing. He's ballooned over the bar. So bad. And he also missed target with his second one against Levy, the second one he's missed. So, of four penalties, he's missed the target with two. But this isn't a, a Jack Amakis hard time show. He's a great player for Celtic. But I think, you know, you're right. If he just relaxes a wee bit more, we'll see the best of him again. He's maybe just trying so hard to prove that he's on par with Kyogo for that slot. We spoke last week about the fact that I think Kyogo had started 17 games in the number nine for us this year and Jacko's only started seven. So there's clearly a bit of work to be done if he wants to be deemed the number one. But overall, you know, I think we can, you know, class the Australian trip as a successful one. I think it was Joe Hart that was out speaking and saying it's important from a player bonding point of view because as much as these players have been in, you know, a fairly tight group for 12, 18 months for a lot of them, it's quite intense times and it's just feel like training, game, travelling, training, game, travelling. And to actually, you know, you've seen, I think there was pictures of the guys on Bondi Beach and different things, you know, whatever footballers do down the beach. And just maybe relaxing a wee bit more because the intense schedule, as much as it's great for a fan point of view to see loads of games, from a player's point of view, it's probably good just to put the brakes on for a wee bit and enjoy yourself. Yeah, even with that extended break we had because we were qualified for Champions League in the summer, it, it wasn't, you know, wildly extensive it was still pretty rapid in it there was international games in the middle of it for the guys like McGregor playing all uh, 270 minutes of them and stuff so there's no huge breaks for these guys so to get this period now to relax like you say get out of football you know so they get a wee bit of time out of football in Australia and now they can take I think it's a week or 10 days we've got where the guys can scoot off to Dubai or whatever they want to do and just down tools a bit there was a moment with Joe Hart actually that might have just nicked my moment of the week and it was when the, a fan got him to sign two head and shoulders <laughs> balls. That was <laughs> quite funny. And he took it really well. So yeah. I think it was quite funny. He's never going to live down that ad. No. Um, but yeah, overall, um, good exercise uh, over in Sydney. Good for the club, good for the players and, and hopefully they can now enjoy the break. As I mentioned, um, really interesting interview with Shane Beaton from Melbourne after the Sydney game. You'll get that at the celticexchange.supercast.com. The other big headline, of course, uh, which broke earlier today, Monday, was that Giovanni Van Bronckhurst has been sacked by Rangers after, I think, just more than a year in charge. He's left the team nine points behind Celtic in the league. They lost all six of their Champions League fixtures. They got absolutely hammered. 7-1 by Liverpool. I'm absolutely devastated, James. Why have they not kept him? I mean, obviously this season's been poor. You know, the, the worst ever Champions League performance, all that kind of stuff. Um, tips to Celtic first for Giovanni Van Bronckhorst. That was his uh, name for it all. But, you know, you're apparently away from winning Europa League. Qualify for the Champions League when you absolutely shouldn't have. He said players sold from under him. He said no budget to replace them. So any pressure was on him. He, well, I'm not resigning. You need to sack me and pay me. And that's where, the way it's ended up. You're right. I mean, never to defend any manager of, of Rangers, but he's been dealt a bit of a poor hand, hasn't he? You know, as you say, the Europa League run, you've got to take your hat off, you know, to what they've done there. But he's been very poorly backed in the transfer window. I just, I looked earlier on at a bundle of signings. Yilmaz, Matondo, John Souter, Ben Davies. For different reasons, these guys just haven't done it, Brido. And it's little wonder that he's found himself out the door. Yeah, I mean, if you were to look at Rangers squad in a reasonable amount of detail, you'd probably pick, or they would pick, six or seven players that they would actually think are good enough and are able to keep. Um, they have not marketed, you know, not, they've not done themselves proud in the market in regards to transfers and things like that. So they've certainly, they have they have regressed as we have certainly moved up in progress. So, and that's kind of shown every week, to be honest. So, and the longer that continued, the better for us. But if you're looking at it um, from his personal kind of position I think he's only what, 367 days or something I read this morning yeah about over a year yeah Yeah, and he's managed to squeeze in a lot more than other managers done in that time who definitely got a lot longer <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, well, I don't know <laughs> <laughs> he's, um, his reign is the shortest of any permanent manager out with Pedro Coutinho and Paul Le Guin so he's, he's not a lot of time but you're right he said Europa League final Scottish Cup success qualifying for Champions League but then all the misery of, of recent results it's, it's been a bit of a roller coaster for him but James from a more exciting <laughs> can you, point can of view you take that grin off your face it's been a bit of a roller coaster <laughs> you know but uh, there's a few names in the mix who would you like to see get the get the gig give me any from Gerard Martindale and Beal I mean three of them together would be even better That'd but be a any of those three um, Martindale don't see it 
<laughs> you could do something. You don't. You don't know. You don't know where he's going. But it's dough is the question. What dough is a manager going to get? What a what a, a sign of your ambitions if you take on David Martindale with all due respect slash no respect. I, I just think that there's there's a lot of Rangers fans thinking that would be the move. That that would be a real fall from grace ish if that's what you do. Spanish no, I mean, even if you're to look at it in a football sense, like he plays a style where he's not got the ball. He always has done. He's done very well with that. His plastic pitch helps him sometimes. He's then got to go to a team who will have most of the ball, most of the games. He's never done that before. Mm. So why he even gets a mention, I'll never ever know. But listen, I hope it, <laughs> I think the banter years would flow thick and fast for a long period if that was the case, I can assure you. Yeah. Does that argument then extend to Sean Dyche? Because that's the very role he's had to do in keeping his clubs up. He had a period at Burnley though, he didn't do that in the Championship. And then yeah. when he went to the Premiership, he definitely kind of became more physical to. and defensive. But again, even if it was him, it wouldn't strike fear into me, that's for sure. I think, I think he's organised. I think Sean Dyche is quite a pragmatic manager and he, he plays plays the environment around him. So within the Championship, Burnley would be a big hitter and, and allowed to play that kind of football when they get to the Premier League. Different story. But as you say, James, whether it's Sean Dyche, David Martindale or, or any, anyone else you'd care to mention, there was no budget for Gio van Bronckhurst after qualifying for the Champions League. What makes people think that's going to be different next time around? And as we know, you know, with sustainability, you can't just tip money at the top. It just doesn't happen anymore. So... They've not got any real sellable assets either at the no. minute because they've not done it properly. Mm-hmm. Um, Morelos and Kent will leave for nothing in the summer, I'd imagine, or Tuttons in January. Mm. Barisic will be in the final year of his contract. Roof will be in the final year of his contract, if not already out. I can't remember if he's out in the summer. Um, Hellander's in the summer. They're big. They've spent a lot of money on wages as opposed to transfers, kind of fees with the exception of Kent, but... <laughs> they'll get no money back for those guys yeah. yeah just last question on this James before we move swiftly on um, my question was going to be how will this affect Celtic but actually will this affect Celtic in terms of anything we do I mean as fans we will think about this kind of thing and you know it's mildly hilarious and all that kind of stuff but um, Ange's always you know he wasn't looking over the fence last year he'll not be looking over the fence this year it's you know focused he's focused like Paddy's focused on the 20 points uh, one league with 20 points nothing else so yeah, yeah. I think I, I don't know if Andrew's been asked about it yet but it will be soon enough and I think he'll I'm sure he'll wish Van Bronckhorst all the best but say this has nothing to do with me you know I, I, he always talks about about controlling the controllables and whatever's going on at the other side of the city has nothing to do with Ange and, and what he influences here at Celtic so yeah it'll be interesting to see what the next move is and uh, we'll keep you posted and we'll, we'll maybe discuss it depending on how funny it is um, moving on to the, the last and latest headline of course is World Cup sales so World Cup kicked off there on Sunday Qatar v who was it? Ecuador Ecuador did you catch any of it? I watched it all oh, I, oh, I watched some of it it was dross Painful. I just wanted to see if all the rumours about <laughs> bribes was going to come uh. true yeah. The VAR, VAR certainly seemed to be along those lines. Uh, I'm not saying I bet 1-0 Qatar because everyone <laughs> said that was happening, but uh, that VAR decision, a very good decision or a questionable one? It depends. Are you talking, is, is the guy on the penalty spot the one that was picked offside or the guy no. at the goalie? No, it's the guy. The guy at the goalie? So the guy challenges the goalkeeper and he, the guy who gets the, the million the guy who, No, it's the guy who gets the ball after that. His leg aye, is beyond the, the goalie. Aye, so he was kind of at the penalty spot so somewhere. The, and there's only a one defender between... Like after the goalie, so there has to be two players, so that's why he's offside. If it's him, then I'd, I'd need to see the lines and stuff like that, but then maybe, and obviously the defender is behind the goalie, so he's the last, he, he's effectively the goalie as far as offside is concerned. So potentially a, a good shout, but you know, certainly on first impressions, you're like, it felt, it felt very hooky, four minutes into the most controversial World Cup of all time. I tell you something, the... Uh, the Qatar goalie wasn't uh, keen on Qatar winning. <laughs> he was doing all sorts of stuff. And I thought he had a terrible game. Anyway, moving on from that one. So, obviously, there's four Celtic players representing the club at the World Cup. That's Carter Vickers for the USA, Dyson Maeda, Japan, Juranovic, Croatia, and Aaron Moy for Australia. Brido, from your own point of view, is, is there anyone there that you might follow you know, closely throughout the tournament? Anyone you're particularly looking forward to see from a Celtic point of view? As weirdly, Juranovic, just because we don't know what the future holds with him. So if he has a really good tournament, he plays every game and they do quite well, then that, you know, if he's going to leave, which it looks like he will at some point soon, then we want him to, to leave at, the, at a peak. Uh, 
Maeda kind of think he dips in and out the Japanese team. Carter Vickers, I'm not too sure, will play that much. I think that Zimmerman and the boy Long tend to play for America. Uh, so, and the other one was Moy, who'll play for us. But Moy will do exactly what Moy does. And like I said to you earlier on, I think he goes around Tesco at the exact same rate. He goes yeah, around yeah. Different for about two hours. And, yeah. <laughs> and it's not a slant on because I think he's, he's, he's playing his part. But yeah. Uh, so we won't see anything different about uh, about him. So I would say Juranovic just for that for that main reason. Yeah, Aaron Moy will be hurried for no man, James. He'll do things <laughs> he at his pace and his pace only. I think he's the only player. I'm quite sure actually. He this is his second World Cup, so he's got the experience, you know, tournament experience. I think he's got 52 caps for Australia. Um, I'm really intrigued, James, as to whether Carter Vickers will play, and I'd be delighted if he does. Listen, he might go there, not feature at all, but brilliant experience. But it'd be so good for him and also for the bigger picture that. You can come and join Celtic at 23, 24 years of age and get that recognition at the top level. Yeah, and it's it's very much part of Celtic's, you know, pitch to players. You know, they get this exposure at Champions League level, which gives you further exposure uh, if you're an international team. He would be the one I'd most like to see playing because he's in a group. Let's, you know, I've been watching a wee bit of Iran today on my lunch break. Um, you don't were, need to justify yeah. your work in dating me, James. <laughs> they were pretty poor. Um, so, but you know, Wales good attacking team. England obviously have got a lot of you know attacking strength there. It'd be great to see Carter Vickers testing himself against guys like that. Um, so he he's the one I would watch most closely, and I think Maeda is the one that could, from a Celtic point of view, be doing. We have a really strong World Cup because he's just picked his confidence back up again, and it'd be great if he can just you know bolster that further and come back and, and hit the ground running. Did you read the article about how he credited Harry uh, yeah, uh, Kuehl yeah. with his recent yeah. upsurge in form? Yeah, very, you know, high praise for Harry Kuehl. We've done a wee bit of Harry Kuehl here and the work he's doing and you know, you're not really seeing the results of it but there you are. You know, and it's a, he's in that role that you know, Kuehl excelled at and I always think, you know, we talk about guys like Roy Keane being able to translate their, their talent to management and that's not easy but it seems to be something that's starting to work for Q. He's maybe learning under Ange how to do that mm-hmm. and is getting the benefit of it. Yeah, and I wonder if Q's maybe focusing on more of the, the attacking players at the club, Brido, and it's got to be, you know, a positive thing. We don't really see how that all goes behind the scenes, but all you can see is the progress in certain players. And there's no doubt Maeda has picked up. He scored the big goal against Hearts, which, you know, played a huge part in that victory recently. And he's now getting the World Cup full of confidence and potentially a lot of his teammates are feeling those benefits as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mean, as fans, we don't hear much about the guys in the background. And it's always really good, as anybody's ever coached football at all, it's great when you get any kind of feedback from a player like that. That'll do Harry Kiel's confidence a lot of the good as well. You know, Ange talked about uh, Kiel when he came. He wasn't there because he was Australian. He came because he'd been highly spoken of by other people and he's serving a purpose. So it's great that that's happening with... We've actually then able to see it on a Saturday and a Sunday. Um, Maida's had some difficult moments, um, but what I like about the manager, he's not scared to keep putting them in, um, contrary to maybe what some fans would want at the time. So it's great it's all working together. Everyone's pulling the same direction and we're actually seeing it on a Saturday and getting end results. It's helping us win games. Yeah, we've done a bit of a run through last week on the appearance stats and some of the surprising appearance stats that have uh showing up for the first 23 games of Celtic season. Maeda is featured in every single squad, you know, every single one of those 23 games. I think he started 13 and come off the bench 10, something like that. So Ange absolutely trusts him and Ange, you know how Ange works now. He's not going to change his ways just because of some bad headlines or whatever. And if he's got faith in a player, he'll play him. And that's what we've seen with Maeda. Um, just a very quick run through of the the teams that some of the guys can face. So as you mentioned, James Carter, Vickers, USA, they're in Group B with England, Iran and Wales. And they kick off their campaign kind of about now. They're playing Monday night against Wales, so that'll be on the go as we speak. Aaron Moyes, Australia. They're in Group D with France, Denmark and Tunisia. And they've got a tough opener. They play France on Tuesday night. Japan are in Group E alongside Germany, Spain and Costa Rica. And they start a game of a tough one. That's Germany on Wednesday afternoon. And finally, Josip Juranovic is Croatia. They're in Group F with Belgium, Canada and Mexico. And their first game is Wednesday morning against Morocco. So good luck to all four of the Celtic boys out there. James, just a quick bit of trivia. I know that Brido knows the answer to this, but there's five ex-Celts also applying their trade at the World Cup. Can you name them? No. Okay, no. okay. Uh, Brido, you know them? Do you want to have a go? Frimpong will be there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Van Dyke. Yeah. Um, oh, mine's went blank. This is my debut. It's the nerves of the debut. It's the pressure. It's the pressure. It's a pressure shot. So one of them's playing with the USA. 
uh, where? Timothy Weir. Another Australian, albeit I think he only had one senior appearance for Celtic. The hipster. Oh, uh, the, Jack uh, Jack's yeah. Did you see him turn up with his He is the hipsteriest hipster in town. Uh, and the last one, um, Cameroon International. And that might throw you. It's Olivier and Cham. Oh, so aye. he's opted for Cameroon. He could have played for France, couldn't he? Aye? Yep. And he's out there now. So good luck to all the excels as well. And Martin Vikorst, he's also there as part of Denmark's coaching team. So um, if any kind of final general comments before we move on to the World Cup, the whole Qatarness of it all, James, anything you'd like to touch on? I mean, can you bleep me out, Dave? Can't put the back in the donkey, you know. It's out now. Um, there's a tournament on that's there to be played, but this is a decision made, what, 12 10, years 12 ago. years ago. So there's been no progress. There was talk of the, to you know, put on more support for the women's game and that just didn't happen. You know, there's there's so much. But the other side is the outright hypocrisy from plenty of other countries. I've got shocking records all over the place. So um, just get the football done and that's it. Just... Concentrating on football, concentrating on yeah. football. Sick yeah. of hearing about some of the stuff to be honest. Did you see uh, Gianni Infantino's scandalous speech? The FIFA president. Yeah, oh, I've, just, I've, I was mentioned like a last cry week. For help. Oh. <laughs> it was a wee bit, wasn't it? <laughs> it was like in a five in the morning. Can you come and get me? <laughs> we had um, we, in the jump. We mentioned last week that we'd watched FIFA Uncovered. Or somebody said watched FIFA Uncovered on Netflix. It's well worth catching if you want to see a a masterclass in corruption from FIFA over the last 40, 50 years. But Infantino's the latest. Uh, you know, incumbent of the FIFA president role and his speech was just ludicrous for him to compare himself to people who have been so marginalised over the years and it was just scandalous and if that kind of guy's heading up your operation you're only going to, you know, go one way. I, just, you were actually listening to it thinking is this somebody put a voice over his like, because you're thinking the head of FIFA should be almost, if he's not going to deal with, with it properly his media team should be saying distance yourself from it all as much as you can mm-hmm. don't get yourself right in the guts of it and it was absolutely madness yeah. some of the stuff he was coming away with and, and and speaking as he's meant to be the leader and even today you've got you know England players and Wales players told not to wear the one love LGBT rainbow uh, armbands and it's like well but then some games you've got they really want to promote that yeah. it's like well where's your leadership you know if, if that's where you believe in correctly and we're starting to see more support from that in the game and you're starting to see guys in Scotland even coming out at kind of fairly senior level. That's that's really important. And it sets things back when they go, well, actually, we're not level, we're not equal. Mm-hmm. So where is he as a leader at all? On the biggest stage. It's yeah. the perfect opportunity to perhaps do that with the respect of where you're having the World Cup. It's, you've got to take respect where that is and values and whatever else. But surely the, the greater good of the whole world who, who are involved has got to take... Is over, over that. You believe so it or you don't. You well, don't. Well, yeah, like, you know. You're going to help, but you're not going to help. I yeah. think at FIFA there's a, a lack of leadership, but a, a wealth, to pardon the pun, of ego. Just huge egos all over the place. I think there's a potential that throughout this tournament we'll see some big political statements, maybe from some players, maybe, you know, fan led. We'll, we'll wait and see, but it, it, it's controversial for so many reasons. And I suppose, you know, we just hope that the kind of football can take over now. It's just, it's, it's all got pretty messy. Brido, I know you play along at home uh, with a mystery sell each week um, and I think your record so far has been decent. You've been letting me know. I'm not saying anything just like Brido and Kush, I think uh, Kush is doing well. (laughs) Do you fancy your chances this week now you're in the hot seat? Is is it a different pressure now that you're here rather than... Massively different pressure, but pressure is for tyres. So I'll let that. I'll let (laughs) it. No pressure, no diamonds. (laughs) Um, So James, I'd mentioned earlier on, but um, just to reset uh, the score here, there's been a bit of debate with Miff back and forth. I'm calling the current score is four of you lads which are Nakamura, Samaras, Tommy Johnson, Peter Grant. And two to me, I'm claiming Joe Miller and Lubo Maravchik from recent weeks. Miffle say got them both, but they were out of time, James. Speaking of dictatorships. <laughs> um, <laughs> you've got to, just to clarify, brother, you've got to get the answer within this section of the show. You can't phone me on Tuesday, uh, Thursday and say, listen, <laughs> I've got it. Tuesday's okay. Tuesday's okay. So you've got to get it in this section to get the point. So at the moment, it's 4-2 to you, lads, and we'll see how you fare. I say this every week now, but it's they're getting tougher and I think this is a tough one, so we'll see how we go. You start studying for it like <laughs> straight after that kind of doing last week. You ready, Brido? I'm ready. Clue number one. My country are playing at this year's World Cup, but I've not been selected. So there's a clue in that that he's a current, current player. player. Tom Rogic. That's way too easy. 
That'd be too easy. Aye. That'd be too but obvious. Maybe he's trying to throw you, but uh, that's true. It's not well, to be trusted. Only a fool would make it that obvious. Mm-hmm. Um, we move on to clue two, Bridal. I was part of the squad who won the FIFA Under-20 World Cup in 2013, a tournament which Harry Kane and Paul Pogba played at, as well as ex-Celts Jozo Saminovic and Diego Laxalt. Say that again. There's a lot in there. That's true. I was part of the squad who won the FIFA Under-20 World Cup in 2013. Mm-hmm. Also playing at that tournament were Harry Kane, Paul Pogba, Jozo Saminovic and Diego Laxalt. I don't know if he had the braids at that time, Laxalt. I need to check that. I wouldn't have done because Shane Duffy wasn't there to do them for me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you didn't say, so he's not playing the same team as Harry Kane. They were just playing in the same tournament. I mean, they, I mean, he might have, but that's, he that's not so he's late, to get there. He's, he's late 20s. Aye. Age-wise. His country's playing. He's not in it. Yeah, so I've let you know that he's still playing. And yeah, you're right, he's in his late 20s. Clue number three. I've won one league title with Celtic. One Scottish Cup, one League Cup. Treble then? Mm, Some would call no. it a treble. In the same season? It's not for me to say. <laughs> how do you win? So somebody under Rodgers? Uh, how do you win? Late 20s. Bring back math. Bring back math. Math would have named this, Bridal. Hey, listen, it's been a good run. You've had about 25 minutes in the show, but... <laughs> I guess time, bombed out, bombed out. time to get the big guns back in. Paddy as well. Paddy would have a good back at this. Pressure's not for tyres. I'm, I'm, I'm crumbling here. I'm crumbling. So Tom Rodgers is your only guess. And it's and it's not Tom Rodgers. No. Uh, I was going to say. He'll go about nine or treble. Yeah. I think he's something. I tell you what I'll do. I've got another wee bit to read out. You lads can have a wee think while I'm denial. doing it. I'm denying it's denial. It's not him. You can have a wee bit of time to think about it. Um, but before we finish this section off, I just wanted to also thank Peter Grant, who joined us on last week's show and took part in the Mystery Cell. Peter also stuck around to share some very special stories of his time at the club during the centenary year, amongst some other special memories. And again, you can check that out over at the Celtic Exchange Plus at theceltichange.supercast.com. Time is ticking, lads. Nah, I'd be guessing Ledley, you got Ledley, Ledley's too old now, eh? Aye. No, I'm going to give you your first genuine point. 4-3, the comeback is on, Bridal. Come on, apologise, Miff. I'll let you down. Fair six, enough. Six, one. If at home you think you know the answer to this week's Mystery Celt, remember to tweet us at Celt Exchange using the hashtag Mystery Celt. So this week's big topic, with Ange Postacoglu about to enter his fourth transfer window as Celtic manager, who are the core players he should continue to develop the squad around? James, I'll come to you first, but who do you see as the two to three guys that are absolutely vital to this Celtic side moving forward? It's it's interesting because there's there's players you you want to keep, and then I think we're putting this category as players that we cannot sell under any circumstances. And for me, there's there's three there. Before I go on, we know you're taking this seriously when the, the goggles go on. The spreadsheets out. Yeah, spreadsheets out, glasses are on. James, what you got? Um, so the only three... I would keep, and um, we've done a wee bit of kind of sketch on the squad here, 27 odd players, uh, value of 171 million currently me. Um, so David Murray. <laughs> so I would keep, uh, the three I would keep and not sell under any circumstances is Carter Vickers, uh, Cal Mack and Rio Hitati. Um There's a lot of other guys in there that I would like to keep, but we're going to come under pressure here from, you know, teams are going to be putting bids higher than I've got in this sheet. And we need to be realistic that say if somebody comes in with twenty five million for Matt O'Reilly, which is actually not unrealistic to to expect offers like that because his age, his progress, his versatility, everything. Maybe he's just his, his pace holding back a wee bit, but he'll be ticking a lot of boxes and scouting sheets. There could be heavy bids for him. I think there'll be. I've, I've put your anavix down as ten million. I don't think we'll sell him. Sell him for less than fifteen. So. That, that's my three. What about yourselves? Who would you? Uh, well, I was just going to say that there's also, you know, within that conversation, there's a lot to be said for how Celtic have contracted these players. You know, <laughs> pretty, much, here. pretty much everyone yeah. that came in under Ange's four and five year yeah. deals, including uh, James McCarthy, which is a controversial one. But they've signed guys like Kyogo and Starfelt and Haxabanovich. All these guys, four year deals with an option seems to be the way. So it puts you in a hugely strong position as a club that sell if you want but it's going to take a big price to yeah, get them. Absolutely, yeah. And if you don't, you don't have to. I mean, Your Yuranovich what, what, Yuran, is May 2026. Yeah, so you don't need to sell them at any point unless somebody comes in with crazy money. And, and on that, but I mean, before we talk about who's gone out the door, who are the two or 
three players you feel are absolutely pivotal. So James has mentioned there, Carter Vickers, Kalmak and Rayo Hattati. Where do you stand? I'd, I would agree with those three. I'd probably, uh, Jota for me would be at least another year. Um, I think we're going to, though. I know what you're saying, yeah. but I think if we're going to build, you know, we don't, Celtic have done it for years and other clubs may haven't done it. And that is being able to sell at the right time and then going and finding another one. And it's probably the hardest thing to do. And that's why we find ourselves, you know, where we are. Other clubs have tried it in that kind of transition phase, if you like, and it's so difficult. So when you get kind of golden nuggets like Jota, I think to get one, no, we obviously had them on loan the season before, so we've had two years with them. But I would say if we get another season with them and then build on that, he would develop as a player because he's still developing, still young. And he would essentially then increase in value even more. So if he's under contract, the pressure can come unless the player really kind of made it known to Ange that he didn't want to. That's that's where the pressure I'd be looking at. And you're gone. Once that happens, Ange will Well, he's away. That's exactly what happens. Yeah. Which is fine as well because that's part of football. But if you want to go, it's up to you and your agent to go and find the suitable the bid. Number. So, right. you know, if the, the buying club wants to pay X, then off you go. You yep. know, whoever that may be. I just think perhaps not enough credit has gone to the club, James, for just, you know, it was one thing rebuilding a team in Ange's first transfer window when we signed, I don't know, 13, 14, 15 guys. But it's one thing getting them in the door. The other part of it is just how secure they are. I'm looking down the list here and there's guys contracted to 2026, 2027. The majority of guys are, you know, on those types of deals and yeah. it, it just, it leaves the club in a very healthy position. It does, you know, my my preference post, uh, post-Lennon was scorched earth, as I've said before. Yeah. And you, you've, you're experienced in bringing players through in teams and stuff yourself and you say, look, you know, that, that might be a nice idea, but bonding players is so hard to do at such a volume, such, you know, such numbers. And he's done it. Lenny took him to Dubai. He was trying his best uh, to the bond. <laughs> but he's done it. And he's, it's not even that he'd done it in the first tranche in January, bringing guys into a team that's established, starting to tick, you know, a lot of talent in there, a lot of big captain type players. But Hatati, Maeda, the rest of them, they all just slotted right in. So they seem to have, have worked a way, you know, we've said a few times in the show, culture beats strategy and it's the culture that Angus has put together that is allowing players to you know come in and also go it'll be part of the culture that you know that's a shame we'd love to have kept you but you know the offer's there and you know we'll have to replace you the key point now is what Mark Law and his team are doing in terms of yeah you can let him go because we've got five options mm-hmm. and they're X price so if you sell him for 10 we sign him for 2 and then we sell him for 10 and we sign him for 2 and so on and it just cycles around they're as organised as I've ever seen Celtic and it's it's good to see. Yeah, it really is. I mean, with all that, you know, said and done and, you know, James has mentioned Carter Vickers, Cal McRail, you've added Jota to the mix. Who are the players that you feel are dispensable then? Who are the players that you feel that we could afford to move out the door and would barely find a replacement soon enough? You've mentioned Juranovic and we've spoken about him in, in recent weeks. He certainly seems to be kind of top of top of the list in a lot of fans' heads, but is there anyone else, James, that jumps out that you think happy enough to lose them, if that's the right term, because we know we can go and replace them? So I've got four categories. Must keep, keep or sell, which is, you know, I'd like to keep them, but if an offer came in, uh, keep, like, your good squad players, like, you know, your, not even squad players, sorry, but like, um, key players like Ralston that, you know, you'd like to keep in the round. And guys that I would, I would sell, I think they're not quite fitting the, the model. In terms of the valuations, the must keep guys in my numbers, which are, Pretty conservative, to be honest with you, are 38 million. The keep sell, you know, you'd like to keep them, but you could take an offer. 66 million. The keep, 45, just under 46 million. The sell, the, the guys I think are surplus to requirements or not fitting the model, there's 21 million of value there in those players. So even rotating that for guys who can come in and, and you know, take their places for a, for a much lesser budget creates that budget to go. We've talked about that you know, a few of us think we need to sign a 10, 15 million pound striker. That's possible if you take 21 million pound in the squad that isn't really fitting anyway, mm. in my opinion. What I'll do, I'll share this with your permission, James, this uh, spreadsheet on social. Is this, am I breaching GDPR rules? Is that gone now with the Euro stuff? I think I they're know. public people, so I think they're all right. Yeah. So I'll share these figures because it is interesting, but I don't just have a kind of a snapshot at, you know, lo- loose figures, you know, James will be right with some a wee bit high a wee bit low with others but it gives you a benchmark doesn't it in terms of how that squad's shaping up yeah absolutely and I think we're, as fans we're always wanting more all the time that's our job is to demand more all the time I do think at times 
um, the club don't get the credit that they deserve. Um, a lot of the time we're quick enough to kind of pull the trigger on them and <laughs> and give them a really hard time. But when they've managed to do this over, in football terms, a reasonably small amount of time, um, and when you look at that list, you're going, right, okay, and we're all very comfortable around players might leave. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, you've got Juranovic is, is a good example, obviously, but you have to sell him in January and you've got Ralston in there, who's playing equally as well as him just now. I know, um, it's been outstanding, eh? Um, and then you look at the guys like, I'm looking at the, the players whose contracts are perhaps are out the year after. You're David Turnbull's of the world and things like that. Again, I think David Turnbull's a good football player, but is he somebody that every Celtic fan, we know some that definitely don't say that, uh, wants to keep and develop and whatever else? Has he maybe had enough chances? He's just not done it. So if you sold guys like that, you know, the club will move on quite easily from that um, and find somebody who will influence the game more uh, as opposed to what they're doing. So, yeah, I think I think all the credit's got to go to the recruitment team, the manager and everybody else around about it because we are in a very strong position um, on every position on the park. Yeah. Quick fire answers. I'm just going to ask you three guys. Keep or sell. Stephen Welsh. Sell. David Turnbull. Sell. And this one is maybe not fair because we've not seen enough, but Idiguchi. Sell. Sell. Same all three. Sell all three. I, I, th- I think Welsh, I think it's better for him if he goes. Um, I think for the same reason, it's going to be difficult for Borsalol to come through too slow. Um, I, I think even in the friendly games, they're, they're showing that. Um, Idiguchi, we'll never know maybe if it could have been, but it's, it's circumstance more than anything else. And who was the middle one? Turnbull. Well, you know, we know James's feelings on the bill. <laughs> very, very harsh. Great player. The thing about Welsh, though, is that <clears throat> it's difficult to go and sign a fourth choice centre back mm-hmm. that's yeah. happy to be the fourth choice centre back. Who wants to come and play on occasion? It's quite difficult. The, the, the way Angela does it is you're going to get game time. That's true. You know, that um, that, and you can sign guys saying you're, you're going to get game I mean, I think that was a big part we said before about Jack and Marcus coming because he was saying, listen, I'm at a DBC top scorer. I'm, I'm your number nine. He's like, aye, but you'll play and you'll not play. So we've got that pitch and we've got the player in the end. So I think we can do it. Um, any Celtic player that is on that sheet, I, I'm disappointed if it doesn't work out for them. But it's a tough game. And just on that, James, there's players who aren't on that sheet that I want to talk about. So there's some players out on loan. I'll come to you first, Bridal, but there's some loanees that I think there's a bundle and there's maybe about nine or ten guys out on loan at various clubs. Is there anyone that you think may have a future at the club? James knows where I'm going with this one. Mikey Johnson's my guy. I think he's a real talent. Um, But out with Mikey Johnson, you've got guys like Adam Montgomery. You know, he's out at St. Johnson doing okay. Liam Scales, he's a first choice at Aberdeen, but is at his level. And you've also got guys like Albina Yeti and and Barkas, as we know. Anyone that you think is a future, Brido, or do you think not for any of them and we move on? I don't think any of them do, no. I think Mikey Johnson, I was sick of hearing that he's got potential. All the time. From him? Yeah, a lot from, from Tino. But I've really, really enjoyed your first and, and last and, time on And do you know something? I, I mean, I did that for a while as well, but not anywhere near as prolonged as you've done it. But <laughs> he, he just, big moments in big games, he didn't turn up. And he, we need that. And so it's, To play for Celtic, you've got to be able to have the bottle to do that when you're having a bad time. And... I just don't see him doing that. He's, he's went away and done it in a different league for another... Portugal, isn't it, or something? Guimarães in Portugal. Yeah, so fair play, like he's gone and done that. He's maybe that type of player that needs to be the main man in a team and go and do that. But at Celtic, that just doesn't happen unless you are an elite-level player that we get maybe two or three of them in a team. So he's... No, I don't... I think he could go and be the main man at Hibs or something and do really well for them. Mm-hmm. But I don't think he's much above that, unfortunately. Yeah. I'm not going to waste time and defend them just now, James, because if anyone wants to hear me defending Mikey Johnson, roll back all the tapes. I've done it for hours and hours in well, the previous weeks. I think he's got a shot. I really do. I think he sent, uh, and just sent him out with a purpose mm-hmm. to see what he can do. So he'll be getting monitored every single game by Celtic and they'll know what he's doing and what he's not doing. And I think he'll have a, an early part of pre-season with Celtic and it'll be, you know, can, can you do it? Can you not? And, and that'll be his chance because they won't let him step into the season you know, if he's not going to make it. I, I think that would be about right. And I think that's an interesting point that of the loanies that Celtic have just now, you know, the various players at various clubs, some are ones that they'll be keeping an eye on and some are just there to take the burden off of wages. I've no doubt that Ayeti and Barcast and a couple of others 
it's just until we can run down their contract or, or claw back a couple of quid. With others like Mikey Johnson and maybe Adam Montgomery, young Johnny Kenny, I think, so on loan somewhere. Maybe, yep. So they will have an eye on, on some others, but by and large, James, there's nobody chapping the door from the loanies that you think of. I think Johnny Kenny's um, one that certainly can't be judged. We'll need to see what you can do. He's not had a chance at Celtic, you know, just with, with age. Um, Montgomery and Scales. So if you look at Van Dyke at Celtic, he just stood it like a sore thumb, right? So Montgomery and Scales should be standing out at the same level um, at their respective levels. With no disrespect, disrespect to those clubs, that's just the levels we're talking. Um, I think Scales is doing well. I had high hopes for him when he first came in, but I just don't see it's, it's kicked on. Um, Montgomery, he's, he's played his part in, you know, a crucial season last year. It's just whether he's got that that level to step up and I don't see it from what I've seen, which isn't a lot, but I don't think so. I think Mikey Johnson and uh, Johnny Kenny are the only ones that we'll have a serious look at coming back. Okay. Um, so obviously throughout this spreadsheet, as I say, we will share it. There's so much, um, so many, there's 27 players and there's, you know, keep, sell, maybe and all that kind of stuff. And it's quite a big squad to keep happy as well. And obviously we know the way Ange plays his football that to an extent he can keep some guys happy, but some guys, you know, will find themselves just desperate for first team. Gucci might make the choice to move before Ange moves them on, for example. But all that aside, Brido, what do you think the most important area for us to improve on is, you know, just squad-wise in a very general sense, where do you think we really need to strengthen? I think we need to be proactive in looking at a good replacement for Joe Hart. I don't know if Seagrest will be that answer or not. I think he's a good goalkeeper, but I don't know. Uh, and I would be saying that in the, f- the top end of the pitch, um, more clinical players at the, at, when we get to that better level. I think that to, if we're going to advance, that's what I'd be looking at. It's exactly where I am as well, James. Both ends of the park at the back with the goalie. And I've said it before, Joe Hart has been fantastic for Celtic. But if we want to kick on, we need better. And at the top end... Kugo Furuhashi is one of my f- favourite Celtic players in modern times absolutely love Furuhashi and I'm fond of Jack Amakis but I do feel to Brido's point if if we do want to reach these higher heights and that's what Ange is targeting then we need better yeah. harsh, harsh as that may sound that's just football you know that's why I've got Bain as a sell because what he, apparently he's a great guy for the dressing room but apparently it's McCarthy as well you know it's a really expensive Jokers, yeah. you know. I'd be a good McCarthy for the uh, dressing yeah, room. Yeah, give, give me 20 grand a week. Yeah. I think it's higher than 20. Um, certainly between the two of them. So if you take Bain out and bring a third keeper in that is challenging Hart and Segrist, but is actually your number one, I think I think we need to go sign a Champions League goalie. You know, not a goalie who's playing Champions League, but a goalie who can uh, hit the, the Champions League heights. And then that'll be Hart and Segrist playing it out for, for second spot. Hart's 35, he knows how football works, even as a goalie. He'll know that opportunities are becoming less and less um, after this season. So I, th- I think he'd be realistic enough on that. Whether he then wants to play lower league, because he does you know, want to play football, that was why he's, he's come to Celtic. But I'd love to have him around as, as a sub-goalie, as maybe even moving into coaching with Stevie Woods and the team there, because yeah. the experience he's got and having played... Having changed his style at a late stage, that's great experience to be able to pass on to the other goalies. I think Hart could be a great transitional type goalie for Celtic because he's been brilliant. He's had you know a year and a half, close to two years of memories that he he maybe thought were past him. I think he was ready to hang up the gloves and it was all over. He's now had a found a place where he's absolutely loved. He's revered. He's having a great time and maybe maybe you know when he finds himself as the backup, he would hang around it. It'd be great for anyone else that comes in alongside him. Last question on this section, you know, aside from the individuals and who may come and go, what do you think, Brido, in terms of Ange, you know, and, and, and what he's looking to do? Does he view this as a project for the, the future? You know, he seems to speak in all the right words. He was interviewed several times back in Australia. They're trying to throw the, the Leicester job at him and different things. But do you genuinely see him as, as someone who views Celtic as a long-term project? Yes, I do. And he won't be there forever because he's openly kind of said that as well. But um, he he's not he's not a guy who chases money for himself. Um, he's wanting to make his mark in the game. And he has done that before, even before he got to Celtic. Let's be honest with the, what he's done with Australia um, and Australian football in general. But I think I think he really, really wants to to make a market a club the size of Celtic. So um, he's all in. And I think he would continue to be 
all in and if he wasn't he wouldn't be there but I yeah. think he would yeah I mean I think Brido is leading towards legacy and I think that's where Ange sees himself James do you agree with that? I, to a degree yeah I think he wants to put the structures in place um, but I think he's an ambitious guy he's on record as saying he doesn't want to you know be managing forever he wants to enjoy his life and you know he's he's it's his job has run his life in what's he now 56 I think 57 57 so there'll come a time where he goes right that's plenty he's not going to be one of those managers still kind of kicking about 17 8 years old you know so he, he want to enjoy his, his retirement but before he leave Celtic you want to put foundations down in place absolutely and you can see it you know this this sheet tells you that he's putting those foundations in place and the next iteration of this sheet will be probably the real Ange team that, that really does damage I mean have you Ange Postacoglu and Celtic as a bit of a you know a perfect storm the way it all came together and it's easy everything's easy with the benefit of hindsight but he just seems the perfect fit for the club and has done for some time now and that's in so many ways it's the style of play he understands Celtic Football Club is always has always been and will always be about attacking football it's the the immigrant roots that you know that, that Celtic were all about and what he as an individual is all about it's the fan base it's the passion it's the the the, the desire and the will to win and it's it's everything and it's just all come together and it feels a wee bit, you know, and this may sound dramatic, but it feels a wee bit like he's a a once in a lifetime type Celtic manager, and and we may not get another fit like him for some time whenever he decides to move on. No, he might not get something like something like him, but Celtic we do it always do we move on, don't we? And we, and we go and find something else that can that we can champion. Um, but to probably a lot of Celtic fans, similar ages to all of us, would say. Probably their favourite Celtic manager, not necessarily for the stuff on the park, or not only that, but it's, I've said it a few times now. It's just how he conducts himself and how he represents our club, and that's even with difficult situations, you know, regarding questions that other managers didn't answer or didn't want to answer. He seems to face up to it, and the answers is, and because he's an honest, genuine person, I think the media he's got a good relationship with them, even if they are trying to trip him up, but he's not, he's not daft. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for me as a Celtic manager, that is a must, is being able to manage that. And we've seen some managers do it really badly, you know. But we've also got the trust as fans in him that he won't just ditch us whenever somebody comes calling. So I've, I've, I'm fairly confident that if he was to move on at any stage, it would be a kind of controlled, um, acceptable way. That, that's kind of what I'm at. You, you said something earlier on there, you know, we'll do what we've always done. We need to stop doing that because it's, <laughs> it's been bad true. for us. That's true. But interestingly, we're this season in particular, or last last season as well, we're doing things that we've never done, you know, under new leadership. So my hope would be that Ange and Michael Nicholson have got such a strong relationship. When it comes to Ange says as soon as he's not challenged anymore, and that could be as soon as next season. You know, if you get to the end of next season and he's done something really strong, you know, Champions League-wise, treble-wise, all that kind of stuff, then he might go, right, I need the challenge again. But I'm hoping Nicholson and uh, Ange have got the relationship to go, I'm starting to feel if an opportunity comes along, I'd probably take it. So how do we plan the succession, right? I'd imagine there's there's conversations already, at least between Ange and Mark Lowell, of... He's a good manager. He's an up-and-coming manager. He's established. He starts to play the way that we play. Knutson kind of stuff, you know, that that kind of idea. David Martindale. David Martindale, yeah. John Kennedy. John Kennedy. Hey. It could, you could do worse he, because... He, he's just behind Mikey Johnson on my list of favourites. I know. That's but, I, but I think it's a, a fair manager. point. Uh, Somebody who's been immersed in, in Angie's culture, could he take it on? Does he have the personality to then push that, you know, push his own personality through with an Angie-type message? Maybe, maybe not. Angie would certainly know. But that is the succession plan and I'd really like to see in place before before it goes. Whenever Ange goes, I mean, if he went tomorrow, he would go with my best wishes. But please don't. Please don't go. Yeah. Um, I don't think there's any doubt that Celtic will always, or should always have some sort of um, list, a provisional list for if worst the, comes to the worst. In the draw. In the top draw next to all the CVs. Um, but yeah, you know, we're hopeful. I mean, the signs are there that it's long term. You just need to watch any number of Angie's recent interviews, particularly back home in Australia, where he is more relaxed. You can see it in his interviews, the, the body language and everything is just a bit more chilled out. And he's actually quite humorous. You see a, you know, a bit of that about him. But he's always, you know, as I say, they try to uh, coax him into an answer with the Leicester job and different things. And he's saying, listen, I'm at a huge place. I'm extremely happy. And I just think at the moment Celtic 
can meet his ambitions. He sees a project here. He certainly thrives on a challenge and there's no doubt we've still got, you know, bigger heights to reach, James, but I think he feels that he can do all that at Celtic. And what's going to be really interesting, as I say, he's just about to get his fourth transfer window here in January. Let's see how this team shapes up after window five and six and seven under Ange. But exciting times and it's, it's a discussion we'll, we'll continue to revisit in the months ahead. Um, before we move on to the final section for this week, I just want to pick out a couple of the reviews we've received recently from some of our listeners. These are very much appreciated by all of us here at the show and really help us with what we're doing. So first up, Martin D 72 says, my go-to among the Celtic podcasts, always great content delivered in a most enjoyable format. All the guys speak from the heart and all matters Celtic and long may it continue. So thanks to Martin for that. And the other one I'd like to highlight is from Danielle. 571990, quite a catchy uh, nickname there. And Daniel says, really look forward to the podcast coming out every week. One of the best out there. Hail, hail. And as I say, these reviews really help us continue to grow the show here. So if you are enjoying what we do and want to provide us with a bit of support, then please take 60 seconds or so to leave us a short review at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And again, a huge thanks to Uncle Martin and Auntie Danielle for those. Uh, very much appreciated. Each week, as part of the new format here on the weekly show, one of the team will pick out something of interest that they've either watched, read or listened to that week in the world of Celtic media that they then recommend to our listeners. Brido, you've got enough on your plate as your debut show, so we're going to give you a pass for this one. Uh, but again, James has provided something for this week. So James, what have you got? Most people, or a lot of people will have seen, uh, there's a wee clip of Ange with the Socceroos and he absolutely blows his stack. <laughs> and it's something you don't, see from him so that, that kind of caught the attention so it's an interview it's only about five six minutes long it's on 10 sport and it's on on youtube so you can get it for free and it's basically the players that Ange had under him i think they're all soccerers actually what did they think of him and you know what what really happened behind the scenes so that's why you got that Ange banging the wall and, and swearing and all these things so you get some real names you know in terms of soccerers and, and i'll just give you kind of some highlights so Tim Cahill, um, best movie he's ever seen. Robbie Cruz gets the most out of you. Uh, Jackson Irvin, a boss that never lets you get comfy. Mm. So, Juranovic wanted the off after winning the league. Comfy? Miles Yednak, he felt the belief that the team got from Ange you know, transformed them as players. He believed in them so much. So, a brilliant comment from Ange himself said, uh, I'm the best motivator there's ever been. <laughs> Be brave and I'll back you a thousand percent. Yeah. So see, you know, a lot of players we've been given a hard time to for you know trying passes and things like that. We we do talk about us being educated as Celtic fans under range that you know, be brave. It's it's only when you saw against Wraith Rovers he went bananas when they were passing the ball back because he wanted them to, to go forward. So a lot of stuff that you guys these guys are talking about, we're seeing it, you know, week in, week out with Ange now. Um his kind of style out of possession. The team out of position expends more energy, we know that, but it's exactly how Ange plays. They'll be more tired than you, uh, so take advantage of that. This this we haven't got to be a reaction. Zero time for laziness. He sees anything like it. Um, last couple of guys, Aaron Moy, just an unshakable belief. You can feel it from him, mm -hmm. you know. And so These are all the comments these players are making about Ange, yeah? Yeah, exactly that. Mark Milligan, you seldom feel the full force from him because he's, he's so kind of controlled and organised so when he does blow his stack you know you pay attention Yeah. so just a really really enjoyable five six minutes um, and just another wee insight into the, the man that is Ange yeah and I think there's a couple of others with the Celtic links so Aaron Boy you mentioned Jackson Irvin and Tom Rodgers is also featured in the video that's the interesting point about it Brido it's Ange isn't a typical rant and raving kind of manager um, he has very measured very um, in control covers all the bases but it's good to know that he's got that in the locker sometimes when you need to play that card as a manager, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And he's, he's, we've actually seen it at Celtic Park, I think, a couple of times where I think the centre half, I think Wells and Jens were passing the ball on past sideways and he just <laughs> from nowhere just <laughs> absolutely, like a full stadium. I mean, yeah. absolutely wild. Um, so I was, I, yeah, I, watching that, that, uh, that video was, it wasn't a surprise really. Um, and, Again, it's great to see. I love stuff like that. The the kind of insight that you wouldn't normally get, you know, in a Netflix series. I'd love a Netflix series around big hands at Celtic, but um, maybe they should do it. 
But uh, love for it. I it's I love it, man. Love it. But even just his his message isn't overly complex. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not it's, it's, we look at it and think that it might be the way we play but it's not it's just work hard like earn the right to play and when you've got the ball don't be scared to go forward with it be brave I used to always say the bravest man in the park used to think like a guy would fly a two-footed challenge it's not it's the guy that'll take it when you're 1-0 down with 10 minutes to go take the ball yeah. yeah take the ball do something try something and guys like Jota are flying with that I mean other players Hatati taking the ball against Real Madrid in the middle of the park when you're almost certainly nervous as anything turning their players and have volleys across the pitch and stuff um, and as, when it comes off it looks fantastic for us as fans um, and that then we then support them and want them to keep doing that so the, the more they do that and the more he makes them do that then the product itself will continue to get better that's exactly like you're only going to get better at anything by just repeated practice of it. And and I think that's the thing, James, and gives the players the confidence and almost the permission to try these things. So you see, that's why, I'm going to go back to it slightly, that's why I think somebody like Mikey Johnson could thrive under Ange because wingers make mistakes, right? Maybe more so than anyone else in terms of you're going to try and take your man on, I don't know, a dozen times in a game, you might only get by him three or four. That's just part of it. But when you do get by him, you're in. in. And there's a good chance you're going to get something. And I think all these players at Celtic, Starting with your goalie and your centre halves, they've been given the the permission, you know, the the trust, the belief to go and do that. And if it doesn't work, Ange carries the can. And it, and it's it's how Joe Hart, you know, articulated it when he came out and made Absolutely. the mistake against Bayer Lever, uh, Leipzig. Sorry, Leipzig yeah. away made a real mess of it, but he basically came out and said, "Listen, this is what the boss wants, and this is how we do it." And that's what you're going to see. You're going to see guys like Rio Hattati and Matt O'Reilly and Jotas and. And all these guys, they're just going to improve and that's part of it. And we do need to be patient as fans, but I think the fans have bought into it as well. Compare Ange and his backing for Hart versus Van Bronckhurst and how he treated John McLaughlin. You know, just threw him under the bus. And Gerard throwing players under the bus week in, week out, whether it's for Rangers or Villa or whoever. You need to know you're backed by your boss at any walk in life. You know, it's, it's not just a football thing. We were at a Q&A last year and the guy asked the question, he said, Ange, can you stop with the players with the playing at the back because it's, it's, it's killing me. I'm going to have a heart attack. And he said, that's how I play my football. He said, it will cost us. We'll come a cropper. He said, when it does happen, it's on me. And that's the message that Joe Hart's got. And you can see that. When some Celtic fans thought Hart was blasé. He's not. He's just in, he's on message with how Ange plays football. It's the only way for me. Yes, whether it's Joe Hart or Jota or Juranovic, they're all disciples of Ange. And I think if you're not, you know, we've mentioned flippantly dictatorships earlier on in the piece. It wasn't being flippant. Uh, yeah, well, it's not um, it's not a dictatorship, but it's how Ange does things. And if you're on board, get on board. And if you're not, there's plenty of other clubs out there for you. But as always, it's, a, it's great to get just a bit more insight into Ange. We've obviously been spoiled by the year and a half we've had of him so far at Celtic, but it's always great to see other bit, bits of of the, the journey that's made him who he is. So as always, we'll link to the interview in the show notes for anyone that wants to check it out. But with all things Ange, it's always a very interesting watch. James, as mentioned, the players are now on a bit of a break after an intense start to the season. And we now face a few weeks without competitive Celtic action. How are you feeling in general about things at the moment? Celtic-wise, or just life? Is this a kind of, how are you? Is everyone all right? <laughs> therapy, how are you within yourself? <laughs> we, can, we can take that off here, but what about the Celtic stuff? Uh, it's... It's all going well, of course. You know, it's been, it's been a great start to the season and I include Champions League in that because we've grown a lot as a team from that. Um, that's the first time I've properly reviewed the squad, you know, to, to having jotted that down today. So that's that's encouraging in itself. Um, and there's a, there's a long way to go for this team. So things changing across the road is probably, you know, keeping things as they are would have been perfect for us. Um, I don't, and I won't, colleagues early you know so it's just getting knuckled back down once the the proper football starts yeah I think as I say the players have got the week off and I think they're due to face Wren on the 9th of December possibly behind closed doors but they'll just keep ticking along I think seven days is fine you know that's that's good they've earned that break and and they'll enjoy that but Ange hasn't given them too much time off he himself I think is going to visit family in Melbourne as his chat but then I'll be back to it and I'll be back to the hard work he's doing a couple of speaking dates is he? yep Couple of, couple of um, hydro type places. Is he? He's, yeah. a, he's a busy man, isn't he? Yeah. Um, Brido, from your own point of view, listen, a dream debut first of all, and, and thanks for joining us on the show. 
How did you enjoy it? And what's your general take on all things Celtic just now? I've been thinking about that mystery Celtic <laughs> since <laughs> it came up with it. Uh, no, I've enjoyed it a lot, lads. So thanks for having me. Uh, Celtic-wise, yeah, I think it's the message from the manager, basically. just we, we just don't stop and just keep moving forward. And the small things, you know, and that's game to game, player to player. But in the big things behind the scenes, you know, we've got a, it looks like we're getting a Japanese centre half coming in in January. He's not scared to sign people in January. We know that because he's done it. I've heard four. Really? I mean, so we'll wait and see what happens. But I mean, they come in, there might be other people going out. So, um, you know, so as as how he's conducting himself and how he's, how he's running the club for, for us, it's becoming very obvious when we look at things like that regarding the squad. So, on a healthy spot, as long as nobody comes back with injuries and things like that, yeah, just keep it going. Great stuff. And thanks for joining us, Brido and James. Thanks as always. So that wraps things up on another episode of the Celtic Exchange Weekly. Thanks to James and of course to Brido on his first team debut. A proud moment for the family, Brido. Uh, please continue to let us know what you think of the new format of the weekly show on Twitter at Celtic Exchange or email me directly at tino at theCelticExchange.com with any thoughts or comments. And if you are enjoying the show, remember to leave us a five-star review on Apple, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes a big difference to what we are doing. Finally, you can access all of our additional content over at the Celtic Exchange Plus. So just visit theCelticExchange.supercast.com where you can explore all of that in a bit more detail. But in the meantime, from myself and the team, thanks for listening and we'll see you again this time next week. Podcast Network.